Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Mickton, and Dan is away this week. Uh, I'm really, often when you're a classroom teacher and you are working in schools, you know, there's a lot of pedagogic philosophies and approaches. Many of us are familiar with the MYP, PYP, and IB. There are also approaches of whole language, whole child. Uh, there's the inquiry model. There's uh, visible thinking models. There's just a lot of different models that we engage with as educators in a way uh, to really ensure that we're interacting and supporting students with the best pedagogy and best learning uh, approaches to really support them when they walk away from a school setting and come into the real world. And one thing over the years that's become much more prominent is this idea of design thinking and the, think, uh, the, the design thinking cycle. And that's the idea of this uh, circle where you have many different stages where kids have agency and voice. And uh, this is adopted in some places and not in others, but still we still have this exam-driven uh, approach because at the end of the day, universities often want grades. Uh, a lot of schools and parents they refer to their past and the past is measured by their own experience, which might be exam driven. But today I'm really excited to have John Miller from the Agile Classroom, because this is a very different approach. And we're going to have the opportunity to look at how, as educators, when you're in a classroom, you can really ap approach learning and the way you uh, collaborate and actually uh, co-facilitate with students an opportunity for them to be engaged and really have that ownership because there's no there's a lot of evidence in research the more voice and choice students have often the engagement level comes up but of course that has to be structured with frameworks and there's a scope and sequence that we work with anyway i'm excited to have john because he's going to talk about his organization and this approach and also we're going to kind of explore what does it mean in the working world and how do you transition or transfer some of that to the school environment and back and forth. So John, welcome to the International School Podcast. It's a real privilege to have you here today. Yeah, thank you, John, for having me. So John, maybe just give us a little context of who you are and a bit about your organization, and then we'll dive into some of the philosophies and approaches and kind of the pedagogy that you uh, are working with, with not only schools, but also corporations. Sure, uh, John Miller with Agile Classrooms. And uh, what we're there to do is very, very similar to what you're talking about is how do you, you know, use the buzzwords, get future ready students, but how do you, how do you make it accessible to anybody? You know, where, you know, I think like design thinking is awesome, uh, project-based learning, all amazing stuff. Uh, but yet, you know, how do you operationalize future readiness, no matter what you do, no matter what you're learning, if it's PBL or if you're like, hey, I just got to teach math. And how do you embed these uh, 21st century skills and integrate it all the way throughout, but also in a way that isn't, you know, kind of wasn't conjured out by an academic and, and nothing against that at all, but based on reality, based on, you know, the way innovative companies work, if there are things that we processes and the way they work that we can bring into the learning environment to where they're just authentically using those ways of working in the learning. So we try to merge those two together. Like how do you, how do you make it an authentic process, right? That can be applied to work or anything in life, 
but yet, how do we make sure we're helping, you know, it, it's actually helping us to make those academic standards of mastery actually happen in the classroom where they're not divorced from each other, where people kind of play around sometimes. They're like, hey, we're going to do design thinking, which is awesome. But sometimes you're not getting in the standards you have to hit at the same time. So how do we how do we bring those two together? And I would say that's the kind of the essence of Agile Classrooms is, you know, authentic future readiness, uh, but applied in the classroom setting and you could learn anything with it. So one thing that I'm hearing from what the way you're sharing it is that th there is that creative tension that a lot of pedagogic approaches and philosophies and frameworks have ba are based on a lot of theory and research and often translating them into a classroom setting, be it whatever type of classroom. There's so many other variables that get in the way. You have 24 kids with different personalities. You have differentiated learning. You have students that maybe English or whatever is a native language that you're teaching is not their first language. So all these things come in, they're kind of what I would call shrapnel that flies around. And what I'm hearing is that you're trying to translate this into something that's very concrete and doable and still being able to address some of the key things that you might have to do that are being pushed down from the top. How did you get into this did you are you, uh, you have an education background was it through a personal experience that you saw this and you're like this is not working for me i need to come up with something no uh, no i was actually a education technology director in a school district and we were applying this thing called um, agile which is us again it's kind of the way you see a lot of the modern companies the way they're working very different from a traditional project-based kind of project-based learning almost where you, you plan everything up front and then you execute the plan. Agile is about, hey, there's changes, there's complexity, there's a shrapnel, as you said, but not only in the classroom, but in the real world, there's all these variables that you can't predict and you step into it and something changes and how do you adapt to that change? So Agile is a, a way of working that focuses on small teams working in small iterations, right? So it's almost like little mini planning sessions and they do it like almost like a mini project. And then you pause and reflect on it and say, how did that go? anything that changed, anything we need to change, and then you go ahead and iterate again. So it's this iterative way of working where we uh, develop things in small pieces all the way throughout. And every time we have a small piece, we can learn if it worked or not, and we adapt accordingly. Uh, so I was doing that in education technology, which was very different from <laughs> the way the school district operated. If you've ever worked in the school district or school system, uh, you know, this idea of a self-organizing team uh, where they self-manage themselves. You know, I'm not telling them what to do. I'm like, here's the goal. And here's a, here's a way that you can figure that out on your own. Um, was very different. And teachers, as we worked with teachers in our projects, they would come to our offices or we'd go to them. And just what they would see around them. Like it was, you know, people were in cubicles like you might see in these offices or just an office. Like we were in teams. Like the team sat together. They had very visible ways of tracking the project you can't see it on the video but um, on the audio but like behind me i have this what we call like a i call it a learning canvas but a visible workflow so everyone knows what's going on they kind of had sticky notes and they say okay this is what we're working on this is what i'm working on with you um, but anyway teachers would come in and were they were fascinated like wow and they always say this is what the future looks like and this is and some of them start to say uh, this is the way our classroom should look. And I was a little puzzled by that because I was like, okay, what do you mean by this is the way classroom should look like? She goes, well, you know, all the things that you're doing, you know, like all these 21st century skills, I see it happening. Like they have ways of managing their own work. They have accountability. 
but they're self-directed, they're collaborative. Like these are the things that, you know, we're trying to do with our students. So I, I was curious, but then teachers started to pull me in. I was like, hey, can you come to our classroom and, and maybe show us how to do it? I was like, all right, I, I, I can try. Okay. We'll see, see what happens. I don't know if it'll work, uh, but sure. So if you're willing, I'm willing. And we kind of put peanut butter and chocolate together, the education and agile world together and see what happens. So, so I got pulled into it. It was never an aha moment for me or an idea I had. It was, I got pulled into it and, uh, and it worked out pretty well. Uh, I was surprised. Um, but we tried it in a few classrooms and um, some things didn't work, obviously, that, you know, don't translate well to a classroom. Uh, but other things worked really well. So over the years, uh, where it started to take off in, in some schools, um, I just kept working with teachers and, and coaching them on the agile side, but they were coaching me on the teaching side, right? Like how to make this fit. So it was always a, a combination and it merged to this thing that called agile classrooms now that really is, uh, I think, an authentic bridge between the classroom and the work world. So what is so different from a classroom than, say, in a company? Because you refer to the agile uh, approach, which is very popular. You go to Forbes or any of these yeah. business magazines. It's kind of the buzzword and all kinds of startups talk about it. Yeah. But what I'm hearing is that when you went into the classroom and you said you had to bridge the agile with the classroom, what is it about a classroom that is maybe different that requires a different approach with agile? Yeah, well, the first classrooms I started in was elementary school, primary. So what, in some ways, that was a very good thing. In some ways, better than high school because they're all together the whole time. And you can really make, you know, sitting with a teacher who's doing this, you can really make it work. I, I think the difference between corp sometimes corporations and, say, high school or middle school is that you don't have a team together the whole time. Like in, a, in an organization, I'm working with a team for a year. Right. And we're together the whole time. So that becomes a little bit tougher in some ways in the classroom where I'm only in the classroom for, you know, hour and a half, three times a week. It becomes a little bit different. Uh, the that's one that's one small, small difference. I think the other big difference is that a lot of these kids don't have competencies yet. You know, we're in an organization, a company they you know, they've gone through college. They have certain hard and soft skills that they can bring together in what we call a cross functional team. You have all the skills you need to build the thing. And in a classroom, they don't really have those cross-functionality, cross-functional skills. Um, and also with students, uh, you can't expect them to be self-directed right off the bat. I think with adults, you can, that's not always true, but there's a certain level of competency and maturity they have that you're like, okay, we, you're, we're expecting you to be self-directed and we're expecting you to collaborate. And that's just the, the bare, bare bones minimum of what you need to do. In a classroom, these, the kids haven't learned that. Often in traditional classrooms, they're sitting by themselves. They might do pair shares or some group work, but they really don't understand teamwork and how that works when we have shared ownership over the work and, and we're, we're learning truly learning together. And they don't quite have the self-direction skills yet, right? Okay, how do I plan effectively? How do I monitor my own work effectively? How do I um, um, get help when I need it, right? And But not too often, but when I need it. How do I review my work and how do I self-reflect to get better? They often don't have that. So in Agile classrooms, what we do is we play, we, we, we bring in the things from Agile, a lot of the similar processes, right? Like um, how do you plan? How do you check in to see where you are? But the difference here with the classroom is we scaffold it up, the self-direction. So in Agile classrooms, there's a scaffolding model that we use. 
uh, and two types of scaffolding, uh, intentional scaffolding is we want you to become self-directed, but we know you might not be there yet, right? So if you start too, too soon with being self-directed, it can go to chaos things yeah. and, and they get overwhelmed. It's a cognitive load that you're placing on them. So we have a five-step process to say, okay, maybe this is first where we start and the teacher just shows you what to do. They'll, they'll what we call the learning routines. Uh, you know, here's how, to, here's how the teacher's planning, but she's sharing that with you. Here's how I'm planning our work. This is how I think through it all the way to, in the end, maybe by the end of the year, possibly they do it totally on their own. Uh, and the same with collaboration. There's a scaffolding pathway there too, because that's a skill set. You know, you just don't throw people together and say, collaborate. There are certain skills you got to learn. And the same thing uh, where some students will get overwhelmed or they get frustrated, frustrated with the collaboration. So we start out, okay, maybe you work by yourself and you use these processes, but as you, as we grow, we want, we want you to grow to where you can collaborate with anybody. So we also scaffold that uh, throughout time as well in agile classrooms. Um, and they're often not creating real products. So in the corporate world, you're creating things that are supposed to have customer value, business value. You know, it, you, there's certain, certain styles of learning like project-based learning or things like that, that, that might apply. But often it's like my, my product is learning <laughs> in the end. Like I need yeah. to learn something. Not just not just produce something. So it's also the goals of, of what they're using it for is different. So we use similar processes that the corporate world uses in agile, but we apply it for the focus. The, the core focus is how do you learn, and how do you become more self-directed, and how do you become more collaborative through through the learning. So what's really interesting, and I think this happens a lot from my experience is that there are a lot of pedagogic approaches that are brought from what we'll call the real world or industry or whatever. And there's kind of everybody's in awe. Well, in industry, they do this so fast. It's amazing, these startups. But I think the point that you're bringing up that is really critical to understand is that scaffolding. Because there is assumptions and we really as educators understand or have to understand that with anything like that, you know, everybody thinks kids can collaborate. Everybody thinks kids are self-directed. But in a class of 30 kids, guaranteed there are about 15, 18 different approaches to self-directions, many that are not going to be successful. So I think it's really interesting that you amplify and highlight this issue of really making sure you're scaffolding and making it doable in the sense that you break it down and take the time. And you talked about this timeline of a year or not. When you approach teachers or when you're working with teachers, this requires a lot of time and it requires a lot of thought and planning. How does that work for a teacher that might also have a test or a curriculum or a set of standards that they have to ensure they reach, you know, how do you balance both? And what is your kind of pitch to teachers that are saying, this is great, but I just don't have the time to do it? Well, I think you'll find that often with educators or really anybody. It doesn't, isn't just an educator problem, by the way, being overburdened. Um, and it's like, anytime you change, it requires extra cognitive load. Um, anytime you make any kind, even simple changes, like you can't see it in the video, but if I, if you if I ask people to cross their arms the regular way like this, like just cross your arms the normal way, people are pretty easy with it. But if they say, okay, now cross it the other way and they start to fumble a little bit, like it's a little <laughs> awkward. It's not hard, but it's not a habit. So even little changes can take a, a high cognitive load. And you, you do have to have reality that I, I have these real constraints. 
Uh, I would love to have a purely, you know, free classroom and we do whatever we think is the right thing, but you often have real standards you have to hit. So um, I, I find that part isn't a big deal. Like if you, if you need to do an exam, do an exam. It doesn't change at all. It's just how do you get them ready for the exam is what's different, right? How do you get them? Or as you go across the standards, you can plan those in actually much better with Agile, I find. Um, you can bring those in uh, to how you, how you design that. And so you're going to hit these standards just like anything else. The, another way of hitting it, though, I'm going to go a bit of a tangent, but another way of hitting standards um, is, isn't always intentionally planning them in. That's how, kind of how we're programmed. There's another way, which is you catch them as they do them. So I'm talking about situations where they're doing more like project-based learning kind of activities is that often as they do like real projects or authentic projects, they're doing, they're doing a bunch of standards without you ever planning it. So what you can do there is say, okay, let's look at, we break things into what we call sprints. And where if you take a project or, or learning, um, we don't say here's the year long project. We say, we break that project into mini projects. We say, okay, you have a big thing, but we're going to break that. And imagine you have a mini project. You're going to deliver something, you know, every two weeks, right? And it's going to be a real tangible thing you can see. And by doing that every two weeks or every week, however long the sprint length is, um, you can say, all right, what standards did you hit along the way? So there's actually one way is actually takes some burden off the teacher, right? From, I don't have to know it all up front that, and usually you hit a bunch of them. So that's one. Um, the other one is, you know, just like scaffolding we talked about with the, with the kids, you can scaffold this in your classroom. It isn't about being perfect. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. about, it's about, you know, was it Marshall Rosenberg once said, uh, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. <laughs> and same thing here, like just get started. And we break, one of the principles uh, that we focus on is um, incremental, incremental work. So we break things into small pieces and, you know, every teacher knows this, right? For learning, same thing with change. You break it into small pieces. So we have a, a way you can develop an agile classroom. Um, kind of a deep, there's many ways to do it, but we say here's a default path that kind of works for a lot of people. And step one would be just make the learning visible. So we have visible tools that just makes learning really visible and they can track their own progress. So maybe step one is just that. You're just making things visible and they can track, you can see their work and they can see their own work. Step two would be implement what we call a learning sprint and you facilitate a learning sprint. And really that's just a self-directed learning cycle. Um, if you've done any self-directed learning or any, actually any kind, it's just a learning cycle in general. It's pretty much, all right, we're gonna, we have a planning session, uh, what we call routines, because we believe you gotta practice it to get better at it. Uh, so we have a planning routine, uh, check-in, which is like a quick, almost formative assessment about how are you doing? Where's your progress? Do you need any help? Uh, anything blocking you? Uh, then there's a review where they show their work and they get feedback. It could be from peers or the teacher or themselves. Uh, and then there's a, what we call a retrospective, which is an intentional reflection at the end, not on the work, but on us as learners and our environment. So, okay, how do we collaborate this sprint? Oh, we didn't do so great. Oh, what do we need to do different next sprint? So you do a reflection, you find one improvement to make to apply in the next level cycle. So, a learning sprint just repeats. It's just a cycle and it repeats itself. It's iterative. So you do that, you know, every, you know, every two weeks, whatever the length is. Um, so one is facilitate those. But maybe you're doing that again at the beginning where they don't have a lot of self-direction, a lot of choice. 
but you're just modeling it as a teacher. Hey, we're going to do a thing called a sprint. Here's what we're doing. Um, I find that the students like it because they have more clarity, even at that level of like, oh, I can, I understand what's going on now. Right. I'm yeah. not in the back seat. Like I'm actually on the, on the passenger seat, at least with, with the teacher. Uh, and then from there, we scaffold that self-direction and we scaffold that collaboration accordingly. So, um, and that way you can build it incrementally. So visibility first, make things visible, uh, implement the learning sprint routines, and then grow choice and grow collaboration. And sometimes, by the way, um, as you talked about scaffolding, sometimes as a scaffold, you have to go backwards. You might realize, whoa, <laughs> I put way too much self-direction on you all, right? Like I thought we were ready, but maybe we're not. So let's bring it back down a step, right? And we got to find that that zone of proximal development also with the skills, not just with the content. Now, what, one thing that you're talking about is this idea also of going backwards and forwards and being, yeah. you know, candid. And one thing that in the documentation, you have this kind of contract, and I think it's the wrong word, where there's this agreement right. between the teacher and the students. And the language is really interesting because it's, it's very, how would I say, the playing field is kind of leveled in that agreement between the teacher and the students. Maybe you can talk a bit about that because that's a very different approach, especially that for hundreds of years we've had teacher-centric. And I think, you know, as teachers, and I'm very likely going to lose a lot of listeners here, uh -oh. is that we like control. That's just a fact of being a teacher. And bless all the fantastic teachers. I'm not saying that control is bad, but that's and, – and there's reason because sometimes having control is a way to – stop chaos and keep the ship going in a good direction. But sometimes letting go of that and what you're proposing is very much kind of a, a flat leadership in the classroom. And if you can tell us a bit about that relationship. Yeah. yeah we, we call the thing you're referring to, we call the learning alliance, which is yeah. we're in a great alliance around learning. And we have, you know, different stakeholders involved in the learning, which is whoever that is, teachers, students. And, you know, where we, you know, where I talked about the scaffolding, self-direction, collaboration, you yep. apply to everything. So you'd hear in the learning alliance, you might say, you know what? I have more control right now. You have less control. And maybe that's the exact right thing to do maybe at the beginning. So you might then create a, an agreement between the teacher, you know, that, that maybe the teacher proposes the agreement. Here's what I think our agreement should start out with. So that would be one way of using that alliance. But the, as but you can go a little bit deep further out where you have more voice, more choice of students and you have them co-construct that, or you go use it in a different way, which is for the student teams directly. So when we organize students into real teams, they have a contract with each other. This is how do we work? And the basic elements of that, um, that we have in our, our template anyway, is what do we value? What do we care about? Uh, so you come up with a couple of values that you care about, but then you tie those to behaviors. Right. You say if we believed in openness or if we believed in um, it's OK to be wrong, whatever the, the value is, this is what we will actually do in our behaviors daily to reinforce that value. So if we believe in openness. Then uh, if someone comes in with an idea, we all listen or, or something like that. So you actually have explicit behaviors that we follow. Uh, the other part of that is conflict. How do we deal with conflict? Because one, as we get more collaborative you're going to have conflict, right? If anyone's ever been, had a family before, you know, <laughs> love each other very much. 
you're together a lot, but with that togetherness, you're going to bump into each other and there's going to be a conflict. So we, that's a 21st century skill. That's often, that should probably be one of the four C's is conflict mediation. How do you deal with conflict? Um, and so we put that up front and say, okay, we know we're going to have conflict. How do we deal with it? Right. And we can go from some fancy research-based conflict protocols to simply kids writing, we talk it out which surprisingly works really well. If they just say, if we have conflict, like for example, um, there was one group of girls, their name was Team Bubblegum. And uh, they, they got along really well, but one day I was there coaching and I saw something happening and they pointed to their, 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 their learning alliance. They pointed to it and the two girls walked out front of the classroom um, in the hallway. And then they came back in, I don't know, seven minutes later and they got back to work and just were doing their stuff. And this was all without the teacher, right? Uh, and these, these were fourth graders, actually. So fourth grade. And, they, and then, so I asked them, asked them afterwards, so I saw this happen. I saw you, something looking like some kind of argument. Then you pointed at your learning, your, your agreement, and then you walked out, came back in. What happened? And they looked at me puzzled. <laughs> uh, and they said, well, we had some argument. Can't remember what it was. Some, some conflict. So we, so whatever and I can't remember, Ashley pointed and said, hey, our team agreement says we need to talk it out. Because that was their, 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 their conflict protocol. We just talk it out. And so then I asked, well, what did you do? And they, they looked at me like I was dumb, like, well, we talked it out. <laughs> like, like it said. It's like, oh, it's that simple, right? It really can be just that simple. So those, those making it visible again and having it in their face the whole time, it reminds them when we get lost in, in the middle of things. Oh, yeah. This is how we hold each other accountable. And that's another part of the agreement is accountability. Some people don't like that word accountability. So you might say, how do we reinforce our agreement with each other? Um, and that's just, again, how do, we, how do we do what I call redirective, uh, redirecting or, reaff or, or reaffirming? Reaffirming is like, oh, you were open. Hey, I want to you know, give a shout out to you. That would be a way of holding accountability. It isn't all bad. Uh, or it could be, you know what? If we uh, don't follow our agreement, what do we do? So I have a simple, sometimes people have simple things as like they have an Elmo doll that they hold up. It means if we ever get off topic and we lose focus, we hold up the Elmo doll. It means enough, let's move on. So that might be an accountability tool. Um, I had one group of boys I had a coach out of this because I was a little concerned. It was a little too extreme. Uh, they, again, it was elementary school. And they said, okay. Uh, they had this, they devised this really complicated accountability system within, and it spread to other teams, actually. Like, they just organically spread. So, okay, well, uh, they, they had four people on the team, and they said, okay, I'm the captain, and he's the co-captain. I said, okay. I said, that's kind of not flat in, in my head. Because, but he's also the captain, and she's also the co-captain. But So they're the captain of us, and we're the captain of them. I was like, huh, interested. Those kind of like they, they had accountability groups. Yeah. Um, I said, okay, so what happens if you, you know, break a rule or something? So, well, we give them a warning. So they had this whole tier system, uh, I think <laughs> fourth or fifth grade. I said, first, we give them a warning. Uh, and it was about focus was the big thing because they goofed off of it. And so they, and, but they knew they needed to focus. So they create their own rules. It wasn't the teacher. It wasn't me. And I said, well, if they, if, if we, we warn them, and then if they do it again, we have a captain's meeting and then we'll get together and kind of warn them again, have a serious talk. Okay. Then what happens? Well, third try, then they get benched. They're like, what do you mean they get benched? Well, 
um, they have to do a worksheet and they have to go to their desk and they can't work in our, in our agile team for the rest of the period. And I was like, okay. He said, well, does it, how's that when you get benched? They're like, oh, I don't like it. I don't like doing the worksheets. So it worked for them, but I felt it was a little extreme the whole period. I felt like it was a little too, too brutal. I was like, well, so my concern here is like a little too much. Like they're missing the whole thing. What would, could you do like maybe 15 minutes of worksheet or something? I'm like, yeah, okay, we'll try that. But accountability was one, just to give you an example of how, you know, That's if you look at a playground, the way kids play in a playground, they do that naturally. They come yeah. up with their own rules and they hold accountability, right? Oh, yeah. you know, when we say freeze, you get, they do it really well and they don't get, in, you know, you know, too many arguments about it. So this is the same thing. It's just making it written uh, and making it part of the learning. And then there's some some other parts of it, but that's the basic gist, right? Is and I think what's really interesting that you know in describing this learning alliance is that okay, you have the the you know this is how we're going to do things. This is how we're going to behave. But actually saying what does it look like? Because so often you have class agreements. And there's just the assumption that everybody understands what does it mean to be honest and trustworthy and not touch other people. And I think, you know, so often in a, a journey of a student during the day, half the time they have no idea what's going on. I mean, they know that it's math or chemistry or whatever, language arts. But actually what I'm hearing and what I, I think really resonates for me is that visibility and constantly there, it's transparent, it's open. What have you noticed about kids that are coming into this agile classroom compared to kids that are not? What are, are, have you had the opportunity to kind of unpack some of these experiences with kids and what you're learning from this experience sure, as I an think, organization? Well, one, I think you'll see the big theme, that visible classroom part, that's step one. So having yeah. that transparency and not just like, you know, teachers love trans like having things on the walls, right? And there's some research saying maybe not so great, whatever. But, you know, but it's like that, but it's actually directed to learning the things you're actually doing now, right? It's all about making that visible. Um, and I find- So can I interrupt you, John? So you're saying the visibility that you have in the Agile Classroom model is that it's at the moment. You're visibly seeing where you are today at 1035 yeah. and where you're going to go at 1040. It's not like a, a review of all, this is the learning that we did on this unit and we have a bunch of post-its. You, you, it's all those things. It's, here's what we got done and you can see that. So you can see it's like a progress bar. Imagine you had a video game, right? And it was, it was in your classroom and you had a progress bar about where everybody was, right? These, what we call the, the learning canvas, you'll see it behind me on the video. Uh, the learning canvas makes all that visible. So you'll see that there's actually, you'll see some things in done. You'll see some things in progress they're doing. And you'll see, here's what we need to do. So at any point in time, it's like a visible formative assessment, right? But empowering the students to see it at all times and the teacher to see it. So everyone has transparency of this thing. And when you, that helps a lot with building self-directedness. Right. You need to have clarity about where you are, where you want to go. Are you on track or you're not? And, and empower students with that right in front of their face. Right. Just like a video game does. And that's why video games are so addicting is you can see your progress all the way throughout. That's one of the reasons. Um, so so that's one. Uh, so I think that clarity that this provides just step, step one is empowering in itself. Once you have clarity, you reduce anxiety. 
And it's more than just putting a learning objective up on the wall, right? It's actually about also your learning process. How do we learn? And you'll see that these learning canvases will actually map out the process of our learning in columns and the sticky notes, which is what are we learning? What are we doing flows through that process. So that's no longer locked behind the teacher's head of how to learn. We projected that up on the wall. This is explicitly how we learn. Here are the steps of learning. Um, and once you do that, they're, they're actually learning how to learn. Um, and learning is a verb. You know, and that's the thing. It, should, it moves. It moves. And as you move these sticky notes along, you actually see learning in action, uh, which is engaging, ultimately, um, just to see your progress, that feeling of moving something to done. You get a serotonin kick, and that creates engagement in itself. So I would say number one is just that level of clarity, the reduced anxiety. And with that level of clarity, even if you don't give them much control yet, remember we talked about the scaffolding of self-direction, yep. there's a feeling that I'm in more control of my environment. more information. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, John Seeley Brown, the uh, pedagogue and professor, always talks, he's done a lot of research on gaming, and he says the one thing that gamers like is they like to be measured. And I think we underestimate how kids like to be measured, not against another child, but measured against what am I doing? How am I doing it? Where I'm going? And I think these learning canvases that uh, part of our audience can't see, which is behind you, is really so interesting because you have that, as you said, learning is a verb. So the post-it is actually moving through that canvas. So kids actually see the progression and the building of that. Do you find that, you know, you've been talking a lot about elementary school. Talk a bit about how this has happened in high schools. And I, and we talked at the beginning about, you know, it's a little different because, you know, it's more modular. Kids go from one place to the other. What, what but potentially the kids have more skills are coming to the table right. with more, uh, you know, independence, more capacity to learn on their own. What, talk a bit about what you've experienced with high schools and middle schools. Well, working with uh, Los Angeles Unified School District right now, they're doing project-based learning uh, with it. Um, again, it gets, it depends on, you know, where you're, that one's a little bit more complicated setup. They have like a, they inject project-based learning, but they have their academic subjects. So um, their, their scheduling is pretty, <laughs> it's pretty interesting how they have to schedule it. Uh, but, you know, there, I think you're right. They have higher level skills. So they're doing things like, um, you know, for example, they'll build a city, you know, build a city project. But they're going through and not only using not only using agile for for building it, but they're also using it to learn how to build it. Like, oh, how do I use SketchUp to do a design? How do I do 3D printing? So what they do is use agile, but they go all the way through. Um, all the way through the project from I need to learn how to just draw, like what scaling is and how to draw it on paper all the way to then maybe the next iteration is, okay, now we'll do it in 3D, uh, a 3D software like SketchUp, all the way to now we're going to learn 3D printing and take those concepts and apply it. Uh, so you're right. I think with high school, they, they're able to do a lot more with it, especially when you get into more like project-based learning. Um the challenges, though, with, with high school is that they've gone through often, and not every school is like this, uh, because there's great things happening uh, all over the place, but most cases, they've gone through a system that, that's taught them to just listen, take the exam. 
So in some ways, it's harder than an elementary yeah. school, right? Elementary, they're, they're, they're much more open. They haven't been conditioned so far out. So I find it's actually easier in elementary school than often high school students because of this, um, because they, they've been tied to so much extrinsic motivators and how schooling works. So you kind of have to, in a way, have to decondition them. Interesting. <laughs> and so I find it a little bit harder sometimes in high school, but, you know, but it works really well, too. I just find that's often a barrier at times. If they're used to school a certain way, and then you're introducing a whole different way. And that could be just like just like adults can be can be hard for them. I think it's interesting what you're bringing up, because I think generally in primary and elementary schools, there tends to be more of an inquiry model, just the nature mm -hmm. of a teacher teaching multiple subjects within the day. The day's yeah. quite fluid. While in a high school, middle school, you're literally going from one classroom to the other. There's a bell. There's kind of a structure. And, and that yeah. fluidity sometimes is much more difficult. Yeah, the, the bell schedule is in, with this model of agile classrooms. It can work. But I think it's it is an impediment, though, because one teacher, one teacher is doing it. They only get exposure to that, you know, a couple hours a week. And it's really hard to develop true competencies like the things in agile classrooms is that, hey, you can use this for any content. You can use it for math, project based learning. The process is the same. So by doing so, you're injecting 21st century skills and all throughout all your learning, no matter what it is, if it's a subject based course or project-based learning course. So that's really cool, but it takes practice. It's just like going to the gym, like skills, because skills are different than, than knowledge. I think, um, I think skills takes lots of repetitions, you know, yes. just like if you learn a sport, music, whatever it might be, you got to get your reps in and it's got to be frequent. Uh, it can't be every once in a while. It isn't like you just learned it and that's it. So the struggle I sometimes have with uh, secondary is that one teacher will do it and they only get a brief exposure and they don't really get enough reps in like an elementary school where if you have a teacher who's with those kids the whole time, at least in the U S that's the way it works. Um, they're able to grow that. I mean, they start with one subject, but they're able to grow it and those kids get really good at it. So by the end of the year, for example, and I've seen this in high school too. Again, these are just the impediments that are there in high school. Um, in primary, I've seen by the end of the year where students were, uh, one group of boys was sitting there. We have one of these learning canvases and they're sitting there. And it's just, they're doing nothing. Absolutely nothing at the beginning of the year. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, I did a terrible thing to them. This is awful. Uh, they're going to fail. And all this, all my trauma, you know, catastrophizing was going through my head. And the teacher was like, no, they'll get it. They'll get it. Like, I, she really had that growth mindset. Um, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> And, but by the end of the year, that group of boys uh, were, which was the one I was mostly worried about, were the most self-organized, self-managing group in the end, where a teacher came in and they said, okay, well, what's the, um, what's the lesson plan, right? What's the lesson plan for me? And it said, the kids will tell you what to do. And exactly what they did. Hey, here's a process. Every day we do this. And, and the sub was totally blown away. She said, I've never seen anything like that in my life. So that's where I do think um, it this I think often they're ready to be more self-directed, self more collaborative, which is good, but also they have less often in if you're just doing it one classroom at a time, they don't get as much practice at it and it becomes a little bit tougher to for it to really stick. And I think that so 
important, the, the idea of repetition and skills, because really it is, you know, if you look at the different structures and frameworks, if you don't do it often, it doesn't become intrinsic and you really right. want it to become intrinsic, a bit yeah. like the two girls that went and talked it out. I mean, yeah. they did not need anybody. It's intrinsically, they've been doing it enough and they understood that that, you know, learning alliance required them to do that. So I think that's just fascinating. What is the biggest resistance that you see? So, of course, you approach schools, schools approach you. I mean, have you ever had the situation where you're working with a school and you're like, you know what, this is not going to work here? I mean, oh, yeah. are, are, you, are you picky? I mean, is there like a audit that you do before you work with schools? I do, I do a sense. I don't have like a, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a, a script, like an audit script. But there's certain things I try to find out. Usually it's the intent, why they want to do it. And when I find it becomes just more about grades, I found like that's not the, this wouldn't be the right thing. Like, yeah, you want, you need to have good, great, you know, good grades and all that. So make sure we don't ever jeopardize that. But there's a bigger intent here, which is the skills. Like this really is a skills framework, right? And how do you apply those skills? So one, that's one is what, why are they doing it? And uh, if they're looking at just increasing proficiency in certain, sta in certain standards, my guess it wouldn't be the right fit. It wouldn't be enough motivation right, to try to change. Um, so that's one. Um, two is just really, I think it's the type of teacher, you know, it's not really a type of, I think the type of school that supports it, obviously, but also when it comes to the teacher who, I, my persona here is the innovative teacher, the teacher who wants to innovate, and they've been looking for the how, like, yeah, I've been trying this, but nothing quite, you know, clicks, it's either, it's not really, it feels not authentic to the real world, or, or it just, doesn't gel well, whatever it might be. They've been trying and it doesn't work out for them. So um, I find what Agile really attracts to is an innovative teacher who really wants to try something, play around with a new way. Um, so one is there's got to be the spirit of innovation and the spirit of risk-taking. I think if there's no risk-taking and it's like, oh my God, we fail in anything and if it fails the first time, it's wrong. It's the wrong fit. And that's just not a 21st century skill anyway. I mean, we all know that, yeah. right? Like you got to fail, you got to experiment, you got to try to learn. Um, and three is just like, yeah, I'm willing to do this. Like I'm willing because it does take time. I would love to say it doesn't, I would love to say, Hey, just do it. And magically it <laughs> Chia pet appears and it's just all amazing. No, it, anytime you change behavior, because the teacher has to change the way they teach students have to change the way you think about your, your, you can use the same curriculum, but you have to structure it differently. Um, so all that takes time, right? So if someone is feeling like, really they're overwhelmed and they don't have an inch, I would say this could work for you, but if you don't have the time to put into it, if you're not willing to, to do that and invest that time, it's not gonna work and you'd be frustrated in the end. So yeah. I would say time, willingness, and that kind of spirit of innovation that has to be there. And I think this is really important because the other thing that you highlighted at the very beginning of our conversation was that anything which requires cognition change and behavior change, is going to require an investment in time and more than very likely the organization or the school community is willing. So there is kind of that personal intrinsic motivation that you have to engage with saying this is going to make and understand that it's a long termism kind of you yeah. have to really repeat and think of this over a year or maybe two years. Uh, and I think sometimes, yeah. you know, when teachers are under a lot of pressure or there's there's just a sense of kind of uh exhaustion you, you a quick fix is always pleasant to have but I, I i'm getting the real sense 
this is not about a quick fix. It's about really a culture and behavior change in the way you approach learning. And as we know, behavior is one of maybe the hardest things to change. Yeah, you really need to want, want the change, I think, for this. Uh, the ones that are serious about it. And I mean, there are ways of bringing like weight incrementally, getting quick wins, right, that we, that we do. But to me, those quick wins aren't worth it if you're not in it for the long term. Right. And you yeah. might get like little, like a lot of teachers will come in to find little tools or techniques that they can apply. And it's great, but they're not really doing agile, but they're doing pieces of it and it helped them out. Like the visibility tends to help a lot. So those things are great. But yeah, I think over the long term, but here's the thing long term, it buys you time back. And, and, you know, John, I'm happy you're saying that because so often, you know, there, you know, you think of the beginning of a school year. I've, I've been very much involved with digital citizenship and a lot of teachers just want to do three sessions and then it's done. But it's about where are you coming back and repeating? It's about a behavior. It's about a mindset. And I think that repetition and also uh, understanding the investment that might take more time at the beginning, you, it, you there's the payback at the end. And I yeah. I just really appreciate you highlighting that because so often I think people are are feeling rushed and they're like, well, I yeah. don't have time and I'm going to lose time. But, and yeah, actually but, what I'm hearing is the opposite. Yeah, the pressure teachers are under today. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, right? I'm, yeah. It's amazing. You know, it's amazing they're able to even show up some days, I think. Um, so I have a great empathy and huge amount of respect for what teachers do every single day. And often it's they're. There, I remember being a technology director and it dawned on me. I was like, oh, I'm doing all these changes in technology to help make things better. And, and then, of course, you know, it's happening a lot of it's in the summertime and they come back. I'm like unveiling the beautiful, what we think is great. And it dawned on me. I was like, yeah, I'm doing that. But HR is doing their thing. It goes to the teacher. Curriculum did their changes. You know, facilities did their changes about whatever, whatever, the, all the stuff that changes and it all hits them at the same time. So, yeah, maybe I had stuff like, yeah, this isn't too much of a change, but you add up all the other changes that they had to yeah. hit on day one, it becomes it's the, there's they're they're drowning in change, right? Yeah. They're drowning in different changes. So but hopefully the benefit of this is one, we there's no like one right way of doing this. Like we provide some principles and some practices. Like, OK, do what you can. Right. Same thing as your scaffolding. What can you do right now? And you get good at that and you build up and that was going to buy you a little bit more time. But by the end, what you'll see is teachers would be able uh, Paul Magnuson in Switzerland, actually. John, That's right. And uh, uh, Lausanne American School. Yeah, Lausanne American School. Um, working with him, he had this cool idea of teacherless observation. And and this really, I think, depicts what what it can look like. The idea would be to really see if they're being self-directed and collaborative, this agile stuff. Um you should be able to go to a classroom, take, have the teacher go get coffee and just observe, see what happens without the teacher there. So I love this concept that Paul came up with, teach the teacherless observation, because in the end, that's what happens if you stick with it, is you're, you don't have to be there, right? I'm not saying the teacher just goes away, but now <laughs> they're, 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 they're not doing all the classroom management stuff because the, the yeah. students have learned how to manage themselves better. And that's saying you never need to do it but you need to do a lot less of it. Um, you don't need to be hand-holding every little thing, right? They, they learn how to learn. They're, they're learning how to do it themselves. So now you're not, you're, you're, you're not the sage on the stage. There's still some times for lectures and mini lessons and all that. That stuff doesn't go away. But I'm much more freed up where I can do more of the things that teachers usually really want to do, connect more with each student, really differentiate for them, really coach, right, along that. 
So it gives you all this time to do the stuff that I think most teachers find more fulfilling and just time for you to like yeah. use the bathroom, <laughs> right? Oh, I can use the bathroom and the classroom's going to matter and they're going to hold each other accountable while I'm gone. So I think the end result is you're going to get your time back, right? To do the things that you really want to do. But yeah, there is that investment up front, and there's going to be times where um, it didn't work out so well and you start doubting it. So, you know, that's where, you know, hopefully keeping the big picture in mind of like, what is your vision for your classroom? What is your vision for yourself? What do you, what do you want? And does your current state allow you to do that? If not, there's some changes that need to happen. Now, John, you have an organization. Are there a few of you educators? Tell us a bit about, you know, who's behind uh, the curtain, kind of, if you don't mind. Yeah, so Agile Classroom is just me, but I have other other folks who help um, uh, with it, with the training, like Laura Williams, uh, Jennifer Manley, and I have some others that will help, you know, coach and do training as well. Great. And uh, you've worked uh, internationally and locally. What have you, what do you feel is maybe your biggest challenge when, you know, we're talking about it being successful. What are some of the challenges that you've encountered and you're like, Oh shoot, I didn't think of that. Or, well, wow, that's interesting. Well, it's the, the one is the, the framework I, I've, I can say co-develop with teachers because it's always evolving every time I work, you know, is really a generic framework. So the idea is you can apply it to anything, but then, you know, people want to know, how do I apply it specifically <laughs> to math or, you know, I don't, I don't have all those answers. It's not at the stage where we have a bunch of like extensions to it. This is, here's how to do it here. So one is how do you take something that's uh, universal and make it very concrete and specific? The, the other, and that's kind of married to the other challenge I find with education. I think this is, you said human, the teachers control. I think that's humans though. I don't think it's just a teacher thing. I think we all want to have control over our environment um, and reduce the feeling of uncertainty. Um, I find the same thing though with this is that teachers say they want freedom. They want more flexibility, right? But then when you give them a kind of a, a framework, you say, okay, here's some, here's a framework that allows you to do what you want to do, right? But you need to adapt it. That means the work to adapt it is on, on you to figure out how to tweak it for you, how to make it work for you. It's not prescriptive. They, we give you some general patterns, some things to work with that work really well. But then from there, you you tweak it the way you want. And then, and then they'll say, but I need to know exactly how to do it. So give me a script. <laughs> so it's this weird situation where I think the toughest thing for me is how do I keep it general enough to where it can adapt? where people have the flexibility, but also at the same time, how to make it concrete enough so people see how to yeah. actually do it without it being just another thing they have to comply to. So I find that's the toughest challenge is finding the, the right balance between, between giving you the tool set to adapt it, but also if you don't have all the time, tell you exactly what to do <laughs> without, killing your, without killing the teacher's independence and creativity and how to apply it. John, I just want to tell our audience and listeners, John has uh, put his bio, some resources, so definitely go to the show notes and also social media connections because uh, I have gone to your site and seen you're extremely generous. I actually got to know John. I was doing a keynote in Vietnam at a tech conference and I reached out to him because I was doing a thing about the adaptability quotient 
And in a lot of the research I was doing, your work came up. So, John, again, I want to thank you for being so generous and being able to use your resources and highlight some of the work that you've done. But I definitely encourage everybody to go to the show notes and go to the site. It's called Agile Classroom. And uh, John has created PDFs, uh, structures, frameworks that you can access. John, uh, is I mean, I, I want to say thank you. And is that generally your philosophy? You want people to be tapping into this? Of course, you have to generate an income, but you do sure. make it very accessible for people. Yeah, yeah. I want it to be a spirit of educators, I think, right? Is how do you how do you make an impact? How do you how to use it? And where you know I do need to make some money so I can fund these things, uh, but that comes from more of the, the training and the coaching, but the resources are always gonna be free, always be available if people wanna use it, they're there for them. And in the end, the idea is to get teachers time back, <laughs> bring more sanity, but also get students to be future ready, which to me is that adaptability. Um, and in the future, you know, we, we can't predict the future, the whole idea of future readiness. So all we can do is how do we make sure students are, are adaptable to anything? I think yes. that's ultimately the goal of Agile Classrooms. Yeah. And, and, you know, in, in the keynote that I was doing about adaptability, quote, and the only constant we have is change. That's right. And I think, you know, as long as we're aware of that and we're setting up students to be able to work in that mindset and in that environment, I think, you know, something like the Agile Classroom is a very powerful framework to really leverage that and give that uh, skill set to students. John, thank you so much for your time and also sharing your insights and uh, the way you work with school districts and teachers. This has been really a rich conversation. And again, I just want to remind people, go to the show notes and it's agileclassroom.com. Am I correct? Agileclassrooms.com, right? With the S. Yeah, agileclassrooms with the S.com. <laughs> and John Miller, our guest, of course, is available. If Reach out to him if this really uh, excites you. And I'm sure he'll be happy to jump on a call with you. So thank you again, John, for the time and sharing your wisdom and expertise. And uh, look forward to keeping in touch and connecting again soon. Yeah, thank you, John. Thank you, listeners. <laughs>